Um, I'm excited everybody is here uh, for this ridiculously hot week. Is everybody doing okay? No one's melted yet. Uh, Megan and I yesterday were commenting as we were walking about, or walking about, we said, this is a lot like Phoenix. This reminds us of Phoenix. And I said, well, my skin doesn't hurt to be outside. So we're not there yet, but it's close. So hopefully it's not going to get too worse, too much more awful for us. Last week, I was picking up some subs that we uh, were giving to um, the football players at Lamar High School who were showing up for uh, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, meeting. And so I went to go pick them up from Jeff. Jeff runs uh, two Jimmy John's downtown. And so I was going to pick them up. And I said, okay, what location are you at? And he said, well, I'm at this one, but you're going to be picking them up from this other location. Oh, okay, yeah, no problem. Well, why is that? And he said the four words, the four most dreaded words for any of us in the day-to-day that we have. The internet is down. The internet was down. So Jeff runs Jimmy John's the internet. That's what all of the credit card transactions go through. And when the internet is down, there are no credit card transactions. To be a restaurateur and actually have no credit cards means you are limited to cash-only customers, which means you're about to have one of the worst days in business you've had in months because you, you can't run any transactions. It's not just the transactions that come to the counter. They can't even do deliveries with credit cards because they have no machine to run them on. The internet is down is something that essentially put his day and his business in a tailspin until it gets rectified. Aside from the internet going down wherever you are, now let's be honest, those are actually probably four of the worst words that we could hear as well. The internet is down? What? The internet, I don't, I don't know how to function without the internet. Uh, if the internet is down, aside from that, what do you depend on that would set your world spinning if it went away? What do you depend on that would set your world spinning if it went away? What failure would cause you to have to reorient your life? See, I think even this this funny little circumstance and, and thinking through about how bad this was going to be for Jeff and for Jimmy Johns, we, we have this opportunity to look in our lives and see, okay, where are we leaning? What are we putting our trust in? And then what happens if it's challenged or it goes away? What is that for you in your life? Okay, so think about that question, ask that question, and we are going to go to the text today with that question in mind and see what God has to say to us in regards to that. So would you bow your heads with me? Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, I thank you very much for this opportunity to get into your text, to look in the book of Acts and see what you have to say to us about where we should put our hope, where we should put our trust, and how we should live our day to day. But Lord, let us not be so focused on that to maybe miss something that you've got for us. So we ask you humbly, open our hearts. Show us what you've got for us. Don't just give us information, Lord. Inspire us to chase after you. In your name we pray, amen. 
Okay, Sarah opened us today, Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. So if you uh, have a Bible or your phone, we have internet, um, go to Acts chapter 12, and that is where we will be today. Uh, As I am wont to do, I want to make sure that we are going to get the most out of this as we are walking through it. So let's, let's set the stage. Let's get a bit of context. What do we need to know so that we understand what's happening here? So time frame, okay? This is clearly after Jesus' death and resurrection. The apostles, the people that followed Jesus, and they were the leaders kind of under him that he entrusted with everything, they and the rest of the church were going abroad telling people the good news about Jesus. Now, what is, if I say the good news or the gospel about Jesus, what is that? Okay. It is this, that Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, was the Messiah. He was sent to the earth. This promised person was sent to the earth. He died. He took our sins, and then he rose to life so that we could have life. And then he tells his apostles, now go and tell everybody about this. Teach them to obey everything I've taught you. Baptize them, and I'm going to be with you until the end of the age. I am with you. This is what I am doing. This is where I am sending you. And so the apostles are now going out and sharing all of this information. Now, where are we in this story? Well, this is happening in Jerusalem. There has already been some things happening a little bit outside Jerusalem, but not too much. And our story in Acts 12 takes place in Jerusalem. This is the the social, the political, and the religious center for the Jews in Israel. Okay? That is in Jerusalem. This is where the haps are. All right? This is where it is going on. The most important stuff is happening right here. Who do we see? Oh, and then we'll get to the who do we see. What's the political climate, okay? That matters for this story. So this isn't too long after Jesus has died. The Romans still are ruling, okay? So they are the overlords that have set up shop in Israel, and they are the ones in power. And Israel kind of has to do what the Romans say they are to do, and it is not a very happy existence. So you have... Uh, quite a bit of animosity between the Jews and the Roman occupiers, okay? So this is the general feel of the text where we are going. Right before this, right before this, in chapter 11, we have Peter coming to tell the story, coming to tell the story to all the leaders in the church. And he tells the story, how God spoke to him in a vision and then worked out the actuality of that vision in his life to bring people who were Gentiles, people who were not born Jewish, that they were available to know about this good news, this call for freedom in all of life through Jesus. And Peter comes and he testifies of the miracle that he saw to all of the Jewish leaders in the church, and he says, it's now available for everybody. God is clear. This is available for everybody. We shouldn't try to stop this. Let's keep going forward. And then chapter 11 finishes with this this, uh, 
kind of the, the start of a story with Barnabas and Paul going out to everybody, the Gentiles and the Jews, and sharing about Jesus. Okay, so now chapter 11, if you will, the story about Peter and then the tail end about Barnabas and Paul going to share the gospel. Russell said that in Acts, when the word of God comes forward, there are two reactions. There are two reactions. One is awe. And then the other is opposition. Okay, there are children here, and so we all need to participate with them. So when I say awe, we all go, ah. And then when I say opposition, I need to hear some, Okay, so there are two reactions here. One is of awe, ah. And then opposition, Okay, so chapter 11 was all awe. So what do you think comes next? Exactly. Opposition. Chapter 12. Opposition starts. Those are mine. All right. Good work. Okay. So um, we dive in. Acts chapter 12. This is where it starts. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Now, who is Herod? For a quick history lesson, this is actually the grandson of the Herod that tried to kill Jesus, okay? So um, Herod, the grandfather, tried to kill Jesus, successfully killed all males aged three years and under at that time. And so this is just a really strong lineage, you know? Herod wants to get what he wants to get out of people, so what does he do? He murders. So um, that should be on their family crest. Um, So this is Herod the king. Again, Roman overlord, not a really good relationship with the people who he is ruling over. They don't like him. He is an imposter. Herod laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. That's one of the apostles. Just killed him. Verse 3, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews... When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Hey, I killed a guy that was making a stink that I didn't like. And you know what? All the people that don't like me, they started to like me. Finally, they're liking me. I'll just kill more people. Man, it's so, so nice, this guy. And so he proceeds to arrest Peter. Again, when he says he's arresting him, there is an intent to kill him. There is the arrest first, and then there is the killing. That is how this is going. This was during the days of unleavened bread. This is immediately following Passover, is the feast of of unleavened bread. And to the Jews, it is a big, big, big no-no to have executions and killings, especially state-sponsored executions and killings around or during Passover. So that is why it says at the end of uh, verse 4, he intended after Passover to bring him out to the people to kill him. Because, you know, I don't want to do it during Passover. That would make me look bad. I want to keep the people happy by killing more people. So Verse 4, it says, when he had seized him, he put him, Peter, in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after Passover to bring him out to the people. Four squads. A squad has four 
soldiers. And so there are 16 soldiers guarding Peter. And they essentially are to take uh, over the 12-hour shift or the 12 hours of night. There are four shifts, so they each take three hours to make sure somebody is awake, making sure Peter doesn't go. He is under severe lock and key. I mean, there are four people behind multiple gates making sure that this one guy who keeps telling people that Jesus is the way to freedom, well, we need to shut that down. So he's under lock and key, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer from him was made to God by the church. I, this is like the perfect setup, Right? This is the perfect setup. It builds up. So we've got, this has everything. It's got the big bad guy, right? The big bad guy in Herod who comes with power, flexing his muscles just so that people like him. Talk about insecurity. And then you've got not just the big bad guy, well, you've got this bad consortium of Jews who are plotting this evil plan to get rid of all the Christians and all of this news about Jesus, they want him out. And so they say, you know what? We can use political power to get what we want. That's what we'll do. We haven't been able to stamp it out. The Romans were pretty good for us by killing Jesus. This hasn't stopped yet, but let's figure out what we can do. I know. Let's use them to kill the rest of them too. Okay. And then we've got our good guy the respected, beloved leader in shackles behind some serious security. This does not look good for Homestar Runner. What will happen? That's for you. This does not look good. What is going to happen? And then we have that end of verse 5. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. A little bit of foreshadowing. What's to come? It all looks stacked against him. Verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. I love, I I find some of Luke's telling just comedic. It does not say he went to Peter tapped him on the shoulder and said, come on, come on, let's go. We need to be quiet. He struck Peter on the side, boom, and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. The chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. He went out and he followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first gate and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Now, I think sometimes when we get together at church or I would talk about something like this, I would refer to it as it is, as a story. And sometimes we can get lost in the story and just say, man, that's entertaining. Wow, that's incredible. Also, 
it's real. This really happened. We've watched crazy movies where crazy things happen. And so when you read a sentence like, and the gates, the iron gates opened on their own, we're kind of like, oh yeah, I've seen that before. No, you haven't. Like not walking out about, we have not had doors open magically for us unless there was a really cool system in place and there's technology, but this is beyond technology. It just happened. And this is real. And this is what God was doing. Now, verse 11, when Peter came to himself, oh my goodness, he said, now, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. I find that this story, at this point, in a way, it should be done. You know what I mean? Like, we're reading this along. It just strikes me as odd because we've got power really expressed by Herod. He flexes his muscles and he shows his power. And the Jews, they have their will. They have worked out this evil plan to make things happen. And now God has moved in this incredible way and Peter is free. Isn't that the end of the story? Isn't that just kind of the part where we're supposed to say, this is amazing. There was opposition. There was opposition. Okay, but instead of the opposition winning, we are left in awe. There we go. That sounded more like a baby. Like, oh, how cute. Oh, God worked a miracle. Sweet. That's not really the feeling we're getting here. But Luke doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, well, the miracle happened. We're good. And we went on. Verse 12, when he, Peter, realized that God had taken down Herod's power, that God had stood against the Jews and their evil plan, that God had moved his way, his name, and his plan forward, when he realized this, he, Peter, went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, author of the book of Mark, where many were gathered together, and we're praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, isn't that amazing? God answered our prayers. That's not what that says. So I I just find God is hilarious. We've got this set up, like this, this almost this tale of lore, where we've got these believers, and they gather together, and there's all these bad things coming against him, but the believers are praying. And finally, when Peter is at the gate, when he has come because God has answered their prayers, they don't even believe it. And they tell Rhoda, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. 
And they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and they were amazed. In, ah, oh, see, now that was, that was a little better. So God in his comedy has shown us this wonderful story. And I have to pause here only to make note, God, see, many of us lean on people's power and the power that we know that comes with money, that comes with our jobs, that comes with a legacy. And we lean on that power. And if that power went, where would we be? Well, where did power take them? Here. Power didn't get Herod anywhere. His power was completely blown away. Well, what about the will? You know, the plan? Anybody in the room like me, a planner? You want to make sure certain things are happening at certain times, and when they don't, you become really obviously tightly wound, and you are not okay? Yeah, exactly. Opposition. Because uh, everybody's out to get me. That's how I think. So, uh, when that goes away, what do you have to lean on? What do you have to lean on? Well, Here's the funny thing. Some of us then try to lean on our morals. We try to lean on our own righteousness, doing the right thing at the right time when we're supposed to. And you know what? God even blows that out of the water in this story. We have the Christians gathering and praying. They are honestly praying. They are earnestly praying. And then when God answers their prayers, they don't even believe it. They didn't even have the faith to believe that God would answer the prayers that they prayed. Every time I come to this part of the story, it just cracks me up because God is not asking for his people to be perfect. And he is not saying, come to me when you have it figured out. Come to me when you can get your prayers right. Come to me when your faith is big enough to deal with me. That is not what God says. God did not wait until the believers had enough faith to believe that their prayers would be answered. He he met them where they were and said, I choose to answer it for my good name, for my glory, and for my honor. As we are looking at this story, the power of God, it can't be contained. The will of God, it can't be stopped. And the word of God, it's going the distance. Let me read on verse 17. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, Peter described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James, that would be the leader of the church there, and the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. The passage then goes on to tell what happened to the power that stood against him. Well, those soldiers, when they all woke up, and they found out they lost their prisoner. They lost their lives. Herod turns around. 
and he goes and stands before the people of Tyre and Sidon. And I read the account of Josephus. He's a, a historian in Jesus' time, and we still have his writings. And so he talks about this story, and he says Herod comes out before these people wearing this shiny, shiny, silvery robe. And when the sun hits it, it looks like he is glowing. And so the people then say to him, it's a God, not a man. This is no mortal. We are so sorry that we have ever referred to you as immortal because you are not mortal. You are immortal. You are a God. And they start calling him that and worshiping him. And what does Herod do? Why, that sounds awfully nice. Thank you very much. Those are kind words indeed. And what does God say? Here are some words, worms, worms to eat you from the inside out. And then Herod died about four days later. The big powerful, the big bad, the one who stood against the word of God and wanted to make sure that it was uh, stopped, that he was going to work with the Jews to make sure that their plan was going to cease what God was doing in and through people to tell them about the freedom that was available through Jesus Christ. It died. He died. And what are we left with? Jump down, verse 24. But the word of God increased and was multiplied. When we come into contact with God's amazing power, there are two reactions. There is one of awe and there is one of opposition. Chapter 12 looks like pure opposition. We're getting there. Kids are still staying strong. There is pure, thank you, August. Uh, There is pure opposition in this chapter. Yeah, there we go. And yet, the word of God, verse 24, the word of God increased and multiplied. The word of God increased and multiplied. When I read a story like this, when you hear a story like this, even coming on a week-to-week at church, sometimes we need to just be reminded of the truths from Scripture. We need to hear that no power can come against God, no will or plan can come against God, and there is nothing that is going to stop His Word from going out and bringing people to newness and life in Him. For some of us, we needed that reminder today. We needed the reminder that his glory will not be stopped and he is to be praised. But sometimes, some of us come and we take that and we're like, that's some information. I got some good information at church. I learned some stuff. I can now tell you about the Roman overlords. And I can tell you about this really cool story. So what? So what? We don't need to stand and say, we got some good information. What God is doing is bringing this information to us and saying, now go and live like that matters. Go and begin again. Acts is this wonderful start of the church. It's for this group of people 
who need to start over. They see that their previous way of doing things, the things that they relied on, their own power, their own intellect, their own will, their way of doing things was not going to get them life. And we are presented with the same thing. The invitation in this text is to come to Jesus and see that his word and his way will be multiplied and increased in our lives. So what? What does that actually look like to begin again? How can we actually start over in him? Now, I even want to say right here, This is an invitation and an opportunity for every single human in this room. Sometimes we come to church and we hear things and we're like, I'm a Christian. He's talking about Jesus. I got Jesus. Check box. And then we turn our ears off. And so, or or even worse, by the way, I'm usually a very large proponent of this. Mm -mm -mm. Can't wait till, insert name here, here's this sermon. They need this. If you are feeling that, I want to let you know that is probably a very quick attack. And that is to distract you from the fact that God has something for you that you need to listen to and you need to change. So what does it look like for us today in this moment to have Jesus increased and multiplied, the word of God, the goodness of God increased and multiplied in our lives, okay? There are three things. One, root your life in his power. Root your life in his power. All of us, again, the way that we know things is keep amassing wealth, Keep amassing power. This is what everybody does around us. So why would we do anything different? We've got to compete. We've got to hang. And we continue to amass and we continue to seek. You know what Jesus is offering us? His power. So give yours up. Open your hands. Root your life in his power. So how can you do that? Give your power away. Give your power away. Don't keep clamoring for more power. Give it up. Put yourself in a place where his power is all you have. And I kind of say this as an encouragement and an invitation, because if we're going to stay in Jesus much longer and we aren't doing that, he's going to bring us to that place. And isn't it so much better when you give it and you offer it instead of having it feel like it was taken from you and then kind of just being disheveled and saying, okay, God, you're all I've got. So much better to come to him and say, I give this to you. I want to lean and live in your power. What's a way, what is a practical way that we can do this? Tomorrow night, we are going to gather right outside here in front, uh, kind of on the corner over here, We're going to gather here, and we're going to prayer walk this neighborhood. Prayer is a way for us to step into God's presence and say, I want your goodness 
for everything and everyone I can see. Uh, prayer walking, I read, it's uh, praying on site with insight. This is a way for us to give up power. We are saying with our feet as we move, with our words as we pray, with our eyes as we are seeing, Lord, we want your goodness to fill this place, to change these people, and to make this neighborhood look like your kingdom has come here. So tomorrow night, 7 p.m., let's gather there. This is a way to work out rooting our life in his power. Second thing, lean on his plan and his provision. Again, I'm a planner. I like control. I like things to be ordered. And God is saying, it's really going to hurt your hands when I rip that control that you think you have away. As I've said many times from here, it's like one of my favorite jokes. Uh, the great uh, theologians, um, 38 Special, said, hold on loosely, but don't let go. Because if you cling too tightly, you're going to lose control. It's a classic rock song. Just check it out later. But when we lean on our own strength and our own provision, we don't get to see how well he is caring for us and how he is in control and how he wants us to look towards his plan. So how do we do that? Russell talked about this last week, but tithe. It's a really simple way for us to live into that. God has given us all we've had. When we tithe, when we talk about tithe being 10% to your local church, please let's talk about this later. If you're like, hey, that sounds really forceful. It's not. It's something that we get to say, God, you have given me all things. You've given me all things. You are the one who provides for me, and I trust you to continue to lead me, and I am going to choose to live on 90% instead of 100% of what you have given me. This is a way for us to actively give away power and give away control and say, God, I trust you. You have given this to me. I want to be a part of what you are doing. I'm in. That is a way that we can actively live into this. And lastly, reorient yourself to his word. Reorient your life to his word, if we are praying that God's word would be multiplied and increased, be in God's word daily. And I give that encouragement because some of us have heard that. Some of us have tried that. We've done it for a little bit and then we get away from it. And then when things start going screwy and they aren't like we want them to, we throw our hands up and we say, goodness, I just don't understand what's going on. If the way we were doing things leads to this result, Try things a different way. Reorient yourself to his word. Be in his word. Lean into him and say, Lord, I am actually wanting to do the things that you are telling me to do. And it's really hard sometimes to do it solo. So I encourage you, get into a loop group. We've got a sign out there for a loop group. Um, I love doing this. Raise your hand if you are in a loop group, if you are in one. If you are not in one and you think, I don't know, hold those hands up. Be proud. Okay. If you see any of those hands up and you say, I do want some help being in God's word. I do want some help living on mission for him. Ask somebody around you who has their hands up. Now you can put them down. You had your chance to look. Uh, Ask somebody and say, what does it really mean to be a part? Can I come with you to your loop group? Can I come and hang out this Sunday night or Wednesday night? 
And if you're interested, put that on your Connect card. Put your name. Put your interest in the Loop group. I'll try to help you get connected this week. But God comes to us in this passage. We see the power of man forced against God's word and their power failed. We see the will of some evil men come against God's word and it failed. And what we are left with is the ever-important word of God, Jesus Christ and his goodness being multiplied and increased everywhere. And we are left with the invitation to come and join in, to begin again. Do you want in? What is it going to take for you to reorient your life to him? What has to fail in your life to make the decision now is the time? I want to invite you, make that decision today before those things fail and you're less spinning. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, this is an incredible passage that forces us to put our sights on you. Lord, let the story not distract just because it's this cool miracle that happened long ago. Maybe it feels inaccessible. Lord, show us the access points. Show us where we need to be moved by you. In this moment, Lord, we are going to have a moment of silence, pure silence, where we come and we reflect on you. Lord, there are things that we need to confess, that it's not about us, that our power is not going to change our own lives, that our plans and our wills are not going to get us closer to you or in right standing with others. Jesus, we wholly need you. And we need to confess that the things that we are going to, to satisfy us, to please us, to make us whole, are not you. We need to confess those things. So Lord, in these moments, hear our prayers.